Welcome to This Is Whole Life. It's episode 275. That's a nice number. I don't know why 75, like 75, it's less than 100, so it's not as cool as like a century, but... It's also the year I was born, so that's important. You're 75? I was 75, yeah. Wow, I thought you were older than me. Yeah. Well, Sorry. Well, I guess, you know, we, we learned... I'm a youngin. And uh, compared to Richard, you are a... Still a youngin. Super youngin, wasn't that? Yeah. Yeah, something like that. This week... If you're tuning in simply to find out if Ken's answer to the question posed at the end of second service that may or may not get him fired is going to be happening, I can assure you that it will. But you're just going to have to hold on. <laughs> wait, wait, well, wait, 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 wait. What, no, what's it, happening? I'm no, getting fired or no. I'm answering the question? Which one is it? <laughs> Thank you for that because that could have gone either way. Suspense. Suspense. Yes, yeah, suspense. No. Wait no. and see. I don't, yeah, yeah, wait and see. It's going to be at the end because we kind of take care of that in our Q&A session. So we're going to save the best for last. So stick with us. If this is your first time, and I have a feeling there might be a few of us that are just joining for the first time. So welcome aboard. This is something we do every week on Wednesday. And if it's your first time, we just hope that you enjoyed enough that you'll come back and hang out with us every Wednesday morning, wherever you listen to podcasts. So Ken, early in your message, this was a two-parter. I really liked the way that you combined the two. I thought that one worked out really well. And you, you, you kind of put them together like, is that a fair assessment? And I was like, I was trying to shoot holes in it. And I, 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 I couldn't. It was, it was good. I thought the two worked out really well. So we took two. We made them to one. And you said something to the effect of the early Adventist movement that no matter the subject, everything was on the table. And you made a pretty good case for that. So what have you seen in the recent past? Mm, you pick you pick a time frame, 5, 10, 25 years, whatever, that it would tell you that it was still true of the Seventh-day Adventist church as a denomination, that everything is still on the table. Do you still believe that? Anything you've seen that would support or deny that? Um, I don't think that everything is still on the table, at least not like it used to be okay. at the early beginnings. And that, that's kind of a, a symptom of of, of an organization growing and aging you kind of become we can see that in nature we can see that in ourselves right when we're young when you're teenagers everything's on the table right <laughs> that's true and the older we get the more sure we are that we're right about all the things <laughs> that all the conclusions we've come to and yep. so i think the seventh Adventist church on paper for sure says that they're open to whatever the bible says and and learning and growing i think though that with age comes this uh, a little less flexibility a little bit more Kind of being settled and feeling settled in what you what you think and what you believe, and I think that if I were to say an example, though within the Adventist Church, I think Whole Life is a great example of early Adventism. I think uh, Whole Life Church believes in the Bible; it's one of our values. Yep. But at the same time, it allows church members to come in and say, "What about this?" or "I I'm wondering about that," or "I'm not sure I believe this." What about that? And I think that's one of the beautiful things about Whole Life is that we allow people the freedom to explore. And, and to and, and a safe place to do that. Yeah. No, I. I yeah. No. Jeff, I would go ahead. agree. Yeah, I would agree. I, I I think though that on the other the upside of that is that even though we might say there's a dynamic uh, side to all of this, there is a bit of a, a a feeling of being you know secure in the fact that there are some things that are fairly consistent. Not to say that we wouldn't, you know, say, hey, well, you know, you never know, it might change. But there is a stability factor, too, that we have to take into mind, just from the standpoint of mental health, right? 
So for the most part, I think I like the idea of, of having open hands, like we say, you know, to discuss issues. But there's also, and I think that's the fine line you have to walk, just like Ken was saying in his sermon. We have to, there are pieces to this that you have to kind of look at it from both sides and say, okay, hold on. We do need to think about it in terms of what's going to happen next week. We need to have something that we're going to say is stable. Well, I think the most important part for me about that is there's certain parts that we're not going to walk back on. We're not going to walk back on the Sabbath. We know that. We're not going to walk back on probably state of the dead and, you know, some of the bigger pieces that we, the Ten Commandments, things like that, that we are just solid core beliefs that you just don't walk back. But the attitude of this open hands and and we can discuss it is if, if I come into the church damaged or biblically illiterate or literate in another denomination that I've grown up with my whole life, and I tend to believe a lot of it is true, and maybe some of it is, but to be able to have those safe conversations to say, if I go to Ken and say, Ken, I, I, I realize that I don't really understand this Sabbath thing. I, I don't really understand A, B, or C. And if Ken is like, man, that's great. We have a class that you can go to. We have Bible studies. Or, hey, here's my opinion on, you know, ask me a question. And it's a safe place where you don't feel like you're going to be ostracized or put off to the side. Like, well, you can go to the kids' department should be studying creation next week. So we'll start there. And I think that's the part that really is inviting because everyone is willing to share, like, how they believe. Like, why do you believe in the Sabbath? Because it's a legitimate question that people outside of our denomination will ask. And it never hurts to be able to articulate that better. And that might change over time. So I think those conversations and having those, like you said, Jeff, those are, that's really, to me, that's the important part that lets people know that we're a safe place. Yeah. But I do think it's important um, to ask the question, why are we not walking it back? Yeah. Oh, sure. Because we can say we're not walking it back and then sound like jerks. But (laughs) um, for the most part, there's there's rationale as to you know why in in like Ken says in every organization there's some things that you you can just do it ad nauseum walking back things and always saying you're open but there are some reasons why we wouldn't walk back on certain <laughs> so next week we're going to cover how to how to walk it back without sounding like a jerk yeah, <laughs> that's exactly. next week's bonus. is that next week <laughs> that's next week's bonus episode so oh still. <laughs> how I'm so glad you're planning ahead for these things. <laughs> it just Randy, seemed, it thank seemed you. like the right time. Well, get, <laughs> that will be uh, that will be entirely Jeff. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> we need a professional on this. So Jesus period, and I loved when you said Jesus period because to me that's a lot of how I approach how I read the Bible. It's how I approach organized religion. And this is something that's even gained traction within the more progressive portions of Adventism, and I'm thinking of the One Project. But that's been met with a substantial amount of pushback. I don't know, seemingly, I mean, just from what I can see, I'm no expert. I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. But it seems like it's because, well, if you believe in Jesus, period, what about the 20, no, what are we, 28 now? 
Fundamental. Yeah, we're, we're, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to make I you think, go find out for yourself, Randy. I can't believe you don't know the answer. To that. I think it. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was 27. No. And it, then it was 28. Yeah, no, okay, there we go. And then, and I know there's a preamble in there <laughs> that says things can change. Right. So, but in my lifetime, it's always been that I'm, I'm sure of. Until it hit 28, it was 27 for the whole time. So it seems like that movement goes kind of slow. But can that be a what I would tell you is this, Randy. I think some very mainstream Adventist voices are going to tell you that it's Jesus, period. Oh, sure. And, and yeah. I think that there are, and I think I'd tell you that there are very some very conservative Adventist uh, voices that would tell you it's Jesus, period. I agree. Um, I agree. I think it's sad when we make Jesus a a label when we say that if you believe that it's it's either progressive, liberal, or conservative, or whatever. I. Um, I think that the way that we interpret it may go ahead and sure. vary, but uh, it is Jesus. Period. There, there is there is no ands, ifs, or buts. It's Jesus, and period. But that shouldn't put any blocks or any hindrances in the way to, and everything's on the table atmosphere like we have at whole life. Right, right. That shouldn't that one one shouldn't preclude the other. Those can live together, can't they? Well, yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, look at the quotes I shared with you, and those um, were good quotes. And by those the way. quotes uh, that were from one of the Adventist denominations founders, Ellen White. She's very clear. It's Jesus. Period. That's. I mean, that's that's it. And whenever we take Jesus out of out of our doctrines, we don't have anything that's worth talking about. <laughs> We really don't. No, I mean, no, there's, of there's, it's Jesus is, is as she put it, the bone and the marrow is the marrow mm. in it, the living part of it. Otherwise, I mean, you think about it, what is a bone without marrow? It's, it's, it's completely dead. That's yeah. And yeah. I, and I think we should go so far as to say that if the doctrine doesn't do that, in other words, that the doctrine doesn't point us to Jesus, if the doctrine doesn't bring us to a closer understanding of Jesus then the doctrine actually should come under question because we are not believing the doctrine to uphold an identity of a, of a denomination. We're up here to, to say that Jesus is the center of everything, even our teaching. So, yeah, Doctrines without Jesus are just trivia. Ooh, yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that. No, and I think that so much of what I took away from this from this message this past week is I found it interesting. You said Jesus, period. And then you relied very heavily on Ellen White to, to support that. <laughs> so many people that would use that many quotes from her in my years, that is, <laughs> that's, not that, <laughs> that's, not, yeah, that's not where they're going with the message. And they're, they use more Ellen White than they do Jesus. And I, just, I found that very interesting because— yeah, And I want to make sure that you know I use more Bible than I used Ellen. You did. In this, this <laughs> yeah. Just because I, I actually am very— I think about that. No, I, um, yeah. I try to use more Bible than I use anything else in a sermon. So when it comes to a sermon, whether I'm quoting Ellen White or I'm quoting Philip Yancey sure. or you know whoever, whatever author you want to put out there, the Bible is what's important that we spend. That's one. Of, that's our value, right? Yep. And so um, I felt like it was important to use a little bit of, uh, or maybe more than what I would normally use with some quotes from Ellen White. Because what I wanted to really establish for our church is that when it comes to what we do at Whole Life, I think Ellen White would, if she were living today, be sitting in our sanctuary. 
in I, worshiping with us. And, I 100% and, agree. And there's so much out there within Adventism that's saying, oh, we need to get back to historical Adventism. Well, I want us to remember what historical, historical Adventism, Adventism really is, yep. because it isn't, to quote the Princess Bride, I don't think that word means what, what you, you think, think it, it means. means. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, I agree. And I think that maybe that's why it was so refreshing for me personally, because a lot of times the hair on the back of my neck sends up. It's like when someone says happy Sabbath to me, that is such a downer for me personally. And it's nothing against anyone that says it. Y'all just keep I'm saying it to me. I'm going to find you every Sabbath it, just so it, it, I want to see how long it takes before it's just a happy thought for you, Randy. Oh, man. There is so many negative connotations to that in my life growing up. And the church where I grew up, that was – People could beat you over the head with Ellen White all day long with ridiculous quotes from books you never heard of, from letters to people you couldn't possibly know, and that was theology. And so to hear this really well-blended mix of the Bible and then one of our pioneers, I loved the history lesson. To me, that's that's interesting. And you know, if in, in a lot of circles in the church I came from, I think you might be surprised as to how many people would be upset that you could have possibly uttered the words that Sister White was sent on an assignment that maybe wasn't the best for her, you know, because of her attitude against certain things. And that's well, like— She was exiled. Other... She was effectively exiled. Oh, and I'll said, just, I will say he it. Said she exiled. was. I mean, and it, you look at what happened, it's just no coincidence about it. I mean, even yeah. in her own letter, she she alludes to the fact she was a she was a humble human being, and she was very gracious. But in, in a couple of her letters, she says— you know, I'm not here. Be- well, she says straight up, I'm not here because the Lord led me here. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's because the brethren are doing what they feel like they need to be doing. But the Lord had didn't give me light that I needed to come here. She says that. And so, you know, she, it was like, get this pesky woman out of here and let us men do what we need to do. do. Yeah. Well, and I find that for a long time, I would, anytime anyone would mention, it's kind of like the happy Sabbath thing, right? But Ellen White, when you read her writings for yourself. And it can be difficult. There's some new translations that might help you out if, you, if you're really in looking to maybe more easily digest some of what she's written, some of the, her bigger works. When you read a lot of the things that are actual inspired writing and pertinent to things that we, you know, that we can work off of today even, they're, they're very beautiful in many ways. And she has a lot of really good things to say. And, of course, realizing she was human and all those yeah. good things and expectations. But that was a smile and a I happy just, moment uh, for I me. just encourage people when you do read it, if you're going to read it in the, uh, you know, the way it was originally written, which is a good way to read it. Sure. But grab a hold of an 1800s Webster Dictionary. Because, yeah, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things that when we read it, it doesn't – the words don't mean the same, same thing, thing today yeah. that they meant then. The nuance is different to it. And so it's important to read it that way and understand it that way. All right. The other thing that really that has been kind of sticking in my mind since since Saturday morning is, you know, cancel culture has decided and guided right now or is doing that in so many ways in our, in our society because somehow a consensus when it sometimes doesn't really seem like there is one or there could be but nobody really knows and anyone that disagrees is you're just labeled something not very popular, not very nice. How can we guide through this process, when our focus, where you know, we're talking about our focus being on Jesus, you know, we have these things that happen in denomination, and we have all these different things that interfere. And then, if you take a stance that maybe isn't popular, now you're thinking, well, I don't want to be included in that. And how do we do this, like moving forward, just being Jesus focused, and and blocking out those other things that just so easily 
like pick us off and distract us. I truly believe that if we want to stay focused on Jesus, we need to be bringing people to Jesus. That's mm. what I think keeps us connected to Jesus. And and so many people, unfortunately, have taken the tact that their that their calling from Jesus, that their calling is somehow to be the. Um, in their view, the watchdog of the of the group to make sure that you know that everybody is in alignment uh, with whatever their particular viewpoint is, rather than seeing themselves as missionaries that are actually going out and finding lost sheep and and helping that sheep in in their return um, to Christ. I just I can tell you the people that I watch that are actually actively giving Bible studies to people who don't know Jesus. Those people, I rarely ever see there being massive angst in their life. There's, I mean, I'm not saying that there that yeah. things don't, but I'm just saying that when you, when you know where your focus is, it changes what your priorities are. And when we see ourselves primarily as being born, living, and dying inside of a particular community, and that the community is more important than Jesus is, that's when we really become off-kilter. Well, that's good. We say it all the time, and it seems so obvious, and yet it doesn't always seem so obvious when I'm in the midst of things like that, and I go, what, what am I missing? Oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't read my Bible this morning or last night, or I didn't, I didn't take time to pray and I should have because there was the little voice was knocking and I didn't I didn't answer. I was busy. And it's always those days or those those couple of days that you might string together and you go, man, that was a rough week. What did I what did I miss this week? And it's invariably it comes back to, wow, check out. Go into your screen time on your phone. If that's how you like me, if that's how you read your Bible primarily and go, how much time did I have in my Bible app this week versus you know, pick your social favorite. media. <laughs> pick pick your favorite, whatever. Sure. And and honestly, if your email ever beats your Bible time, I'm just here to tell you that's in, that's big trouble because <laughs> there can't be anything important enough in an email to go past that. At least for me, anyway. Yeah, I th- I think it focus it focus the attention off of ourselves mm. actually, which is good. The the more I can look outside yeah. of myself and yep. see the needs of those around me. Yeah, I think Ken's right. I think we need to start looking. You know, lost people. <laughs> I mean, I'm lost. Me, <laughs> yeah, I'm we, a lost person, <laughs> and and so we get this idea of, oh, I need to go help a lost person. When in actuality, it's not about just helping a lost person. It's it's help just helping somebody outside of myself. Yeah, and serving and creating that. And so then you, what you do is you start to say, okay, how can I best serve? And so you, you know, you start to realize, man, I, I've got to get, you know, I've got to get that focus. Yeah. And that focus requires a lot sometimes. And sometimes it just means mingling, but either way, it's getting that focus off ourselves. Mm, I like that. That's super easy. Cause that's something that you can do, man, grab your phone. I'll, usually when I get in that space, I'll grab my phone and I'll flip through my text messages and like, who haven't I texted or who haven't I called in a long time? And let's let's reconnect. Let's find out what's happening with them because that's just fun. Because now you have a story to tell someone else too. And you're like, hey, guess who I caught up with the other day? And now you've you're bringing more people into the mix, and I like it. All right, please don't miss the message because between the whole kind of the trifecta, we had the history lesson, we had Bible verses that brought everything together, and just the the message in general. I thought this week was 
it ended too quick for me. I could have sat another <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes. I need to have you talk to my worship and liturgy pastor about that. <laughs> Tammy, come on. Help a brother out at least at second service. We got to give him a little more. We got to give him a little more time cuz that's the one I'm usually working first service so second service is usually when I you know we sat down and and Second Ellie, service went long this week, and it did, but it didn't feel that long. It just—it well, was, was a really, really good message. That if you know, part of it. Sometimes I think we just get so caught up in everything else, and we go, "Yeah, I got to go to church. It's one more thing to check off my list." But this week at church was one of those sermons that just—I think they—they they stick with you. They get inside of you, and they—they they poke at little places that you know you just go, "Yeah, I just need a little bit of little steering." And you know, you're sitting around, and and we had we laughed together this week, we prayed together, sang together as always. But it was a Ooh, powerful and the message. The singing was good too, by the way. The singing mm, was amazing yeah. this week. Mm. Yeah. So you give know, me that, those, uh, those, give me uh, Jesus. Yeah, give, give me Jesus, <laughs> and give me that uh, that banjo playing that. Uh, Yep. Thank you, Richard Hickam and yeah. worship team, because I went up to him afterwards. I'm like, you can never go wrong with banjo. That's what you I'm just, saying. You just can't. <laughs> just like with, uh, just like you know, bagpipes. You just can't go wrong oh, right? between the anyway. <laughs> there you go. All right, we are going to jump right into our questions from the Q and A because you guys are starting to knock it out of the park with the number of questions that you are sending. So we're going to jump in here. So we try to keep the uh, – usually for the new people, we try to keep it to about 30 to 35, 40 minutes. So we're going to do our best to stay pretty close to that this week. All right. The first question was – and this was from Jahimi. What is your greatest – Soteriological. Soteriological. That's what I thought. Soteriological. I can't say it. I can read it, but I can't say it. What did you? What was it? I can't get it out. I, I, I know what the word is, but I can't say it. Security whenever you preach the word and why. So for those that may not know what that word means. Plan of salvation. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. You so, and wherever you preach the word and why. So say that one more time without just put a uh, plan of salvation in. Uh, what, is your, what is your greatest soteriological security whenever you preach the word and why? I guess I would say uh, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> That's awesome. Little ones to him belong. They are, oh, he wait, is weak. weak. Oh, oh, I, oh I, man, he is weak. I, I followed I, you. Oh, no, man. Look I followed that. you into the trap. Yeah, you followed me. Look at me. <laughs> messing this all up. They are weak, but he is they strong. They are weak, but he is strong. Thank you for that, Randy. I appreciate that. Sometimes, wow. uh Sometimes I'm thinking two sentences ahead of what I'm saying. saying. So yeah. anyway, um, but yeah, but I think that would be it. I think that the the bottom line for me, my greatest security is knowing that I belong to Jesus. And I think it's easy when you get up for, uh, up to preach to be really insecure and be afraid that you're going to say something wrong because that is something I worry about. I don't want to. I never want to mislead somebody or lead them down the wrong path or, or say something that's incorrect. So one of the things that I just take comfort in is that that Jesus is in charge. I'm weak, he's strong, he's capable of doing whatever he wants with me, and I just need to trust him. In the end, Jesus loves me, and I know it. You know, that's an interesting question because you and I were talking on my birthday, actually, about preaching and the couple of times I've had an opportunity to speak. And I remember like the thing that I remember the most is not being nervous to be in front of people, but being nervous that you could say something stupid or something that just wasn't right or didn't make sense. It's like, I'm not a pastor. I didn't go to college for this. And, you know, what if you say something wrong and someone would, you know, take it the wrong way? Or I, it's a it's a weird feeling, or at least it was for me. Yeah. So awesome. Okay. Next question was, how do you find a true distinction and balance between truth and tradition? 
Um, I I respect the question, but I'm not sure that I would agree with it. I don't know if there is a balance between truth and tradition. Okay. Yeah, I don't don't know how you'd answer that because I don't even see them as opposing sometimes. Well, I think – well, I guess I – I mean we see where where tradition really got in the way for Jesus, right? And there yeah. he, he said, you know, you value your traditions over over the truth, which is me, basically, is what he's saying. And right, right. What I'm saying is is tradition can is it in a way can be thought of as I mean, we have Christmas traditions, we have traditions in our families, and we have and they don't they're just true. They're I'm trying to figure out why you would define truth within them. But tell, help me. Yeah, out I don't know. That. I think that maybe the maybe the question is just trying to get to the bottom of you know when your tradition and truth don't always make alignment. Maybe maybe, uh, right. maybe we could be right. talking about my like my position on women's ordination. I firmly believe that women should be ordained, but the tradition of our church has not been to do that. And I believe that the truth is that that the Bible allows for that and and is actually would be just fine with that. And so, but the tradition of our church is, has not been that. And so how do you find the balance in that? And and I don't know. I, I guess for me, when it comes to truth, I'm not particularly in favor of watering it down to fit into a human tradition. I think that it's important that if it's truth, that you follow that, not tradition. It's got to be that. Yeah. I think that's the whole point is that if we make tradition, maybe that's the, yeah, maybe that's the, the question. Basis. What if what if the tradition yeah. starts to be starts to feel like the truth? How do we distinguish between that and and maybe yeah. not how we cloud that in our mind? Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. I don't. That's all. Like that, I don't think that that's the point. Yeah, I think that is the. Point. Yeah, the point I think that's what she's asking. Tradition. Honestly, yeah, yeah, that's a tough one because sometimes you know your traditions are born in the right places and they morph like you do over time. And maybe in subtle ways, but pretty soon it's like, man, I don't want to give up the tradition, but you know, not that it would maybe be Salvanic in nature, but if you make it more of a correlation, traditions are beautiful things, right? Absolutely. I mean, we all, I think, traditions are so important, beautiful, but when they get in the way of people experiencing Jesus and they become more important to us than the truth, that's when we've got a real big problem on our hands. Yeah. And so that's the point where I think we need to. How do you know the difference between truth and a tradition? I think you have to go to God's Word and spend time in it, studying it, and and praying about it, yeah. and studying. Uh, those are the best ways to do it, and I don't think you should ever take a pastor's word for anything. I think you should study <laughs> it for yourself. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, study it, and then if you I, find extra th- questions, let's talk about it, right? Yep. Sorry, Jeff, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think that traditions sometimes get in the way of truth from the standpoint of we look back at our and we romanticize mm-hmm. certain things that we've re, we remember or we think back at and and i remember you know there's lots of things i remember from my old church growing up in my growing up years with the traditions that they had and those things in the community that they had and i think you, you look back at those things and you want to think oh i'd like to have those same traditions carry on in my own children and the those kind of things. But then all of a sudden you realize your community's changed and those traditions don't even work anymore. But it's not about truth. It's about saying, how do I create something that was as meaningful for me back then to something that's meaningful for this next generation or this new community? Yeah. Yeah. If we're not flexible enough to let those, maybe the heart of the matter, where they, where they actually spring out from some, I mean, a lot of 
great traditions, good traditions come from a place of love. And then as yeah. you're maybe as you grow up and your tastes change and the next generation's like, that's pretty cool, except that part's really lame. Couldn't we, you know, and then it's like, yeah. no, I, I'm not gonna be <laughs> I'm not gonna be flexible at all. I think that's probably key yeah. in that. All right, we're getting closer to the big question. The next one is from Johnny Owen, who asked, Without airing dirty laundry or gossip, thank you for that. Can the pastor mention a time when the whole life church received valid criticism from the outside? And needed to re-examine ourselves. I've been here less than six months. I was just going to so say, so. <laughs> I am not going to speak to anything that happened before me for sure. And uh, if as I'm going through the last six months, I'm I'm trying to think about any valid criticism. People have been really nice, so I haven't gotten a whole lot of criticism <laughs> yet. So I'm sure anything I have received has been valid. But um, um, there was a time when we were we were so intent on giving everybody space and we were so caught up in the idea of you be you we be you know we'll Mm -hmm. we'll accept you no matter what that what happened was people were coming in to the church and, and you know wanting to be a part of the community but because everybody was so I don't want to say stoic because they weren't stoic, but there's been criticism about that too. But the fact is there was one person who came and and actually came to the staff and said, how in the world do I join this church? (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 uh, and he says, I've been coming for almost a year and a half and nobody's talked to me about, you know, things I need to do to join to be here, yeah. and he was legit. He was legit. It was a, it was a very legitimate uh, criticism. Yeah. So we had to figure out how, you know, how do we allow people to be themselves, but also call them into somewhat of a community of faith that you know, alters your life. You know, what does that mean? Yeah. How do you do that? It's funny. Cause when we first moved to Florida, early two thousands, um, we had spent some time at, at the Florida hospital church in, we found a lot of things we really liked about it, and but the atmosphere that you're describing was one of the things that we didn't, and we didn't end up staying. But then eventually, like you said, as things change and you realize your ways, you know, we found ourselves back, and then here we are, five a little over five years later. Which reminds me, that's the, I actually do have one. Oh, okay. I had somebody express concern that our church wasn't being as sensitive as we could be to the needs of people with special needs in our church. That there is that's some, true. There's some special needs. Um, things. There are many things, actually, but one that would come to my mind right now is it's incredibly difficult to get somebody up on the platform or up on the stage if they're uh, not uh, fully able-bodied. If you're in a wheelchair, it's incredibly difficult. And and then there's some other things I think that we can do to be sensitive to children who have some special needs uh, that attend our church and when it comes to our Sabbath school programs and some of the other things that we do that that we could do to, to make it easier for them to uh, experience Jesus with us. So I think that was a very valid, and it, but that was said very, you know, that was, that all was said in a very kind way, so I didn't even really think about it as being critical. <laughs> so <laughs> so when you're asking me, I'm like, oh, I can't think yeah, of anything. Yeah, no. Yeah, excellent. All right. So getting closer. Now we have a couple of compliments that I think we need to read because they were really awesome. Debbie Estwick or Eastwick said, I have to tune in next week now. I don't remember hearing about this church before, but ended up here today and am so glad. 
Well, Debbie, we were so glad that you found yourself at our church. Yeah. So whether that was online only, if you're local, please do come and join us at church. And of course, 930 and 12, we're at 2800 North Orange Avenue, right across from Advent Health Orlando. Come and see us. Say hello. You'll find, well, this week you won't find Stanley and I in the lobby, but you can find Ken. No, you guys are going to the beach. We're going to be at the beach. That is not right. This is, uh, well, hopefully. But that may be a... That may be a gracious criticism, actually, right there. <laughs> it might be. But, Debbie, I, I would Kevin, love to meet uh, you and shake your hand and give you a hug if that would be okay or a fist bump, whatever whatever COVID uh, requires. But welcome aboard. We are happy, so happy that you joined us. All right. And then Sandra Wagner-Geach said, thank you for the excellent sermon. The historical perspective was just the perfect way to answer this question. This sermon was such a blessing. Happy Sabbath. Oh, thank you, Sandra. I'm yeah. glad that it, it was a blessing and you felt like the approach was the right one. All right. So that's it, folks. We're down to the last question. And if we and if we had a drum machine, we'd give us a drum roll. But from TC Trude, she said, how do we mend the divide between the two Florida conferences? Having been a member of both, there seems to be a division. How can we preach togetherness to the world if we as a church appear divided? So in order to answer that question, I, I think we probably need to not assume that everybody listening understands what's being talked about here. So yeah. I, I want to go ahead and give a, a really quick um, a really quick background to this before we kind of jump into thoughts on it. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, basically as organizational structural issue is that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has the local church where that's the... That's the foundation of everything. It's what everything else is uh, based off of, but there's the local church. And then right above the local church, organizing local churches into uh, groups are what are called conferences, and they can cover a geographic area generally. And so the conferences then organize churches, and depending on the conference, it can have anywhere from 50 churches to 500 churches in it, It's uh, but it's more about the geography than the number. And it's a way of kind of organizing and just and, and managing a, a sisterhood of churches. Above conferences, you have unions, which oversee conferences, and above unions, you have what's uh, called divisions, which oversee unions, and then over that is what's called the general conference that sees everything. So on the conference level, um, many years ago, and I shouldn't say, well, it's, it's been, what are we coming up on now? It's probably coming up on about 75, 80 years Boy, I, I should have looked that up. But back during the civil rights era, I, I do think believe. it was. Yeah, I think it actually the conferences were formed in uh, 1940. I'm going to say 44, yeah. 45. Uh, basically, yeah. at that point, when uh, civil rights was a major issue, predominantly black churches organized into conferences and, and did that. And there were some very good reasons why they did that. One of the reasons was that uh, that they weren't being treated equally. African-American pastors were not being treated as the equals of, of white pastors, and this is something that, that we need to ask for forgiveness for. It was not right the way that our, our church was behaving back then. There was uh, probably the polarizing event that kind of created this these two conferences in the same geographic type of area was a— um, a woman who was taken to a Seventh-day Adventist hospital up in Washington, D.C., and 
she was light-skinned, although she was African-American. She appeared to be white. Well, that particular hospital had a policy that they only served white people. And when they discovered that this woman was not white, they expelled her from the hospital, and she subsequently died from that. And so, understandably, uh, the black community was infuriated by that. And they said, you know, when we pay our tithes and offerings, don't you know we're we're paying to support this, and yet we're not we're not being treated as equals. And so conferences were created for predominantly black churches. And so now you will have a what would be called a regional conference, which would be made up of predominantly black churches in the same geographic area or overlapping the areas of what would be called state churches, which are generally uh, predominantly white churches. Obviously, there's a lot of other ethnicities that are involved in all of this, but this is kind of the general idea of it. And so what the question is, now, now with all that background, let's read the question again. How do we mend the divide between the two Florida conferences? And just coming from her perspective of having been a member of both, there obviously seems to be a division. How can we preach togetherness to the world that looks to us if we as a church are, we appear divided? Yeah. Such a, a fascinating, important question for us to wrestle with. There are what would appear to be easy answers, which is let's just all get back together and <laughs> yeah. and let's you know only have one conference and and do things. The question then becomes, but which conference is going to go ahead and merge into the other conference, or are you going to create because the the geographic overlap isn't consistent? So it's not like there's two Florida conferences that there's um, the conference that uh, the regional conference that that's in the Florida conference actually covers a lot more geography than the Florida conference, which is the state conference, and so. So there's some real logistical issues to be mentioned. Not only that, but within the black community, the regional conferences are incredibly effective with reaching out into their communities and and reaching and doing evangelism, things like that. And so there's a lot of a lot of nuance to this. Now, what we came up with as an answer while I was serving as a pastor in Nashville, and I wouldn't say it's the the answer. I think it's it's a step towards the answer was that as pastors in the Nashville area we all got together once a month and we started meeting together once a month as pastors and praying together and and worshiping together as pastors and talking and talking about our, the issues that we all face there's so many things that we have in common, common right there's yeah, far more that we be. have in common than we don't but then there are specific issues to each community and so it was a really beautiful thing watching these pastors and I was a part of that get together and and meet and what that created then was that we then started planning events where our churches started doing things together, together. we would cool. we invite everybody to come in and have a, a special worship service for, uh, at one point we were having discussions uh, about diversity issues, and we brought, we invite everybody to come in. And, and so we did those kind of meetings. We, uh, there's some really beautiful things that, that came out of that. And to me, that's the start of the conversation. Rather than worrying about, and that's one of the things that one of my friends who's a part of the regional conferences has said, he said, sometimes it bothers me that I feel like you, Ken, as a white person, are more concerned about the perception 
than you are about the real issue here. Do you know what I mean? It's like, sure, oh, this yeah. looks really bad. So we need to get – as opposed to being like, hey, some really uh, horrible things have happened. There's a lot of hurt here. How can we work on the hurt and pain that, that, that's been there? And so that's one of the things that I think that we, that we have to start entering into conversation with each other. Before we start trying to fix an organizational structure, we've got to fix the broken relationships. That And, and, and right now, in many cases, there is no relationship. It's not even broken. It's just not – it doesn't even exist. You can be going to one church and not realize that just a block down is another Seventh-day Adventist church but they're a part of a different conference, conference, or there isn't an interest in actually working together. Now, in many places, that's not true. Churches do work together. Yeah. But that's where we all need to work. We need to start creating the relationships, not waiting for other people to create them for us, but just reaching out and saying, hey, I want to be your friend. I want to know you. I want to care about the things that you care about, and I want to understand the hurt that you've experienced, and I want to be there to support you and be there with you in that walk. And I'm not worried about what things look like. I'm worried about how things are. Yeah. And I want to take care of you, whether or not the rest of the world was judging me. I'd want to deal with this right now because it matters to me that there's brokenness and hurt and pain and legitimate pain that's there. And so I think that's something that we all can work on. And I think that, uh, you know, as a leader, I think that's heavy on my shoulders um, to to do, and it's it's one of the things that I think I I definitely want to be uh, pursuing from my end of things as I settle in and get uh, get uh, used to Orlando and the whole life uh, community, and I think that we can we can do that. We can reach out and be friends and and um, partners and and really know each other across state and regional conference conferences and, and just really work together. And I think that's where it really begins. Well, I'd heard that story before about the the hospital, and I don't know how you can't be taken to tears when you see that someone could be treated that way, regardless of you know you mentioned you know we're paying our tithes and even if you had no affiliation, right? right there's no there's no call for anyone right. being treated that way. Yeah. But I like what you said about getting to the root of it because even if it never becomes one again or whichever one would be the the merger or the mergey whichever but if we're all on the same page as to we just want to see all of our communities and all of our churches that support those communities thrive right then i think to her question then to the outside world we would look like we had togetherness because we would yeah. whether the titles match that or not i don't know maybe it wouldn't be quite such a big deal if you asked people on all different areas, oh, yeah, we know Ken or Ken knows us and the, our churches have done things. We love working together. We just don't feel like there's a need. We're already working together. What's the, what's the difference? I think there's an, it's important to note there is a place there's, – there's a very important place for ethnic churches. I think sure. that, that we all like to worship in the manner in which we grew, a, we grew up and were accustomed to worshiping for the most part, right? And and the other part of it is when we when we also start talking about language issues, people should be able to hear the gospel in their first language. Yeah, having been in foreign countries and have having to listen to a translated sermon, um, it's it's such a good feeling when you actually get to hear the words <laughs> in a language where you're not having to have the pause and stop and and it's not like it's the end of the world but it's it is a beautiful thing to be able to hear God's word to hear a service that's spoken in a language that comes easily that you understand all the nuances that are being put into what's being said and yeah. felt 
No, that's that's great. Well, TC Trudes, thank you for that question. And this question has been around a long time, and I, I'm excited that we, as a church, and Ken as our pastor, you know, don't shy away from difficult questions or difficult topics because it helps us all grow. It helps us all understand. You know, maybe someone hadn't heard about this before. Now you're a little bit more educated, and you know, there's finding ways that we can just lift each other up and be involved together. So. That is going to conclude our Q&A for today. So we made it all the way through. We're a little bit longer than normal. But the one whole life reflection this week, I loved it. Why do you attend whole life? And I'm like, well, all the different things we talked about this, you know, different denominations, different churches, what's different about whole life? You know, what, where should our focus be? I just want to know, why do you attend Whole Life? I would love, if you want, leave a voicemail. I would be fun to play the voicemails on the show next year. That would year, be really fun. Uh, I'd love to week. hear that. And uh, we've only done that a couple times. Most people don't, I don't know if you, you guys get a little little nervous, a little you know tightened up there. But 407-965-1607, you can re- remain anonymous on that line, either text or voicemail. I don't know who you are, but I'd love it if you tell us and you'd leave us a voicemail. We'll play them next week. Or you can send an email to podcast at Whole Life Church because I generally generally always interested in what was the thing that tipped the, you to coming for me it was jeff and andy badgering me in the center aisle we were members of forest lake and we came for vbs because they didn't have it and and florida hospital church did that year and you know well and finally one week andy said how long are you going to slum downtown before you just you know, make up your mind to change your uh change your affiliation. And I was like, well, if you put it that way, I guess now is a good time. So we did. And, you know, and here we are. And it had been, of course, we'd had a great experience moving up to that point. It just, sometimes it's hard to jump over that hurdle, but it was just the prodding of someone, like you said, just uh, giving you the final push. All right. Our final thoughts are from the closing to Ken's message. He said, in the end, it's not about labels. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing Jesus. As a whole life family, I invite you to turn your eyes about Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And those words never seem to get old. They always seem to be just as impactful as they were the first time you heard it. Next week, great question, number four. What do we got, Ken? I, I know you've been already thinking about it, so I, I, I want to yeah. hear, hear where your mind has been churning so far. This is so, it was such a fun question, to, uh, and I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say fun, but it's it's such a good question. Uh, it's a great question. It's about uh, Ishmael and Hagar, and just the difficulty there that happens. We see Ishmael be born. We see God seem to condone the treatment that that is uh, abusive. Um, from Abraham and, and Sarah of Hagar and of Ishmael, and, uh, sending off. I mean, I can't imagine. Um, you know, I, I only have children with my wife, and so I can't imagine what it would be like <laughs> to uh, have another child. But if I did, I have a hard time imagining sending them off into the desert with uh, with a bottle of water and saying, "God bless, good luck." I, I you know, that seems very difficult that to understand and for. If that were just Abraham doing it, maybe we could chalk that up to human weakness, but then it appears that God is actually encouraging Abraham to do that, and then we see Paul kind of condone it as well in in Galatians, and 
and kind of say, you know, and and he kind of almost demonizes Hagar and Ishmael, and uh, Paul does by you know that he he compares Hagar to uh, the Mount to Mount Sinai where the law was given. It's the old covenant. She represents the old covenant, and then there's you know Sarah who represents all the beautiful things and wonderful things, and 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 so it can be kind of a little hard to think. Well, isn't that a little harsh that God's being a little harsh? <laughs> And Paul, and anyway, so we're going to have some fun getting to the bottom of all that. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, sounds like you're ready. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to it. It's a good study. And by the way, that's exactly what it is. It's a study, which is So uh, we're going to have you study it, and uh, we'll do something completely different for the sermon. (laughs) 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 I I will be honest. I told Tammy this week, I said, I might need a little bit. We might need to go ahead and look at our rundown a little bit and figure out ways to carve out a little extra time this week. (laughs) This is is not a short answer sermon. This this one is a little bit. I feel like in all of the great questions, that's why they're great is because because they can't be you can't just give a simple answer it yeah. takes uh, it takes more digging and, and diving i'm impressed that we made it as quickly as we did through everything that we covered today so thank you guys for the for those that are joining us as always it's a little longer than normal but thank you for sticking by i hope that you were blessed today with the uh, with the topics that we covered and the big questions just trying to make ourselves as a family just grow closer and rely you know rely on each other but focus on jesus and if we're all doing that Think of the things that we can accomplish outside of our walls. So that's going to do it for this week. Next week, it'll be 276 and Hagar and Sarah and Abraham and that great question. So I'm looking forward to what we get to talk about next week. Thanks for joining us, guys. Have a fantastic week. 